And the Old Testament reading is found in page 341 of your Pew Bibles, 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And the man of God, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. New Testament reading we find in Galatians 5, 1, 13, and 14. You can find it in your Bible pews, page 1077. And it reads, Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 13, and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. This morning's gospel reading is uh, John 8, 31 uh, through 36, and it's found on page 987 in your pew Bibles. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. And now to tie all that together and in what? A couple minutes. We have been talking about uh, themes emerging out of... uh, well, important kinds of wisdom and knowledge that would particularly be of benefit to youth, but to all of us. We've been talking about freedom and what it might mean to be truly free. And these two texts that we've just read, John 8 and Galatians 5 texts, speak to this. In the last text, we hear the word of freedom come to us in a particular way. Let's just turn to that very quickly and remind ourselves as we hear this passage this week and in weeks to come, what that sounds like and what that, what that looks like. Hopefully you still have your finger in John 8. In John 8, it's set in terms of truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth in neither cases here is capitalized, but I don't think it would be a stretch to do that, would it? That is to say, there is a truth that comes from God, and there is a truth that is God. And these truths, or this truth, will set you free. 
We know that this is true and that this is the context because Jesus says, basically, if you hold to my teaching, if you do what I teach, if you do what I've commanded you, if you accept my lordship in your life, then you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Interestingly enough, there's all this context about whose descendants people really are. Jesus said, if you've been born in sin, you're a slave to sin. And a slave has no place permanently in a family. But a son belongs to it forever. And then there's a play on words here, and you've heard this before, but catch this. Christ is talking about several things. First of all, a natural-born son belongs to a family forever, unless for some reason that son is disowned. An adopted son belongs to a family forever and cannot be disowned. And finally, Jesus does the play on words in which he's taking these concepts from the Roman world and translating them into his own circumstance. I am the son sent of the father. If you've been set free by me, you have been set free indeed. Well, this was enough to cause them to plot to kill Jesus. When we recess back to Galatians, we find a different kind of spin, but very much the same message. This is talking about a freedom in Christ, and instead of being written by John the Beloved, this is written by Paul. In Galatians 5, we're reminded that it is for freedom that we have been set free by Christ. But if you back it up, the section immediately preceding this, the context of this particular passage on freedom is Hagar and Sarah, two wives of one patriarch, or at least a servant to the wife and the wife of a patriarch, both who bore him sons. In verse 28, it says this, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born by human effort persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, capital S. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Do you see the difference? And how that connects to the other passage, if you have been if you're a slave in a household, you have no part of it. But if you're a son, a son is a son forever. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Wonderful passage, deep meaning embedded in all of this. And we could read on and I would urge you to do so at some point during this week. If you don't, don't worry. It will come to you in subsequent weeks as we as we keep these passages before us, it might be worth even memorizing if you have ever done such a thing. When it comes to the section following, Life by the Spirit, it says, you are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful natures, but serve in love. And that brings us to so many of the things that our service has been about today, from our children's ministries to the baptism to the very act of worship. It's a service of love. And as we anticipate the table this afternoon, a service of love. The story content today, again, I hate to rush, but comes to us from first, Second Kings 5. And if you had the old um, Bible story books, you remember 
the little servant girl and the healing of Naaman, and then it was the, the top chapter heading was Greedy Gehazi. How many of you remember the story Greedy Gehazi? Do you remember it called that? I, I used to love that one. I liked that God got him back. I don't know why I was really into revenge as a kid. I don't know. I thought it was something twisted like that. Anyway, we will refrain from going into the mind of Greg. We are here to learn the mind of Christ, are we not? So the story goes something like this. There was a man named Naaman who served a king of Aram. Now, I don't know who this king was or what he was about, but he was one of his chief generals. And he was wealthy, powerful, successful in every way that counted except one. He was an outcast in that he had leprosy. Now, the people of Aram did not treat lepers in the same exact way, obviously, that the Jews did, or he would have had no contact with the court, the king, or the army. But he went to the king because on one of their conquests, they had captured a young Hebrew girl who served his wife as her servant, slave. And this young girl had come to Naaman and said, Master Naaman, if you knew the prophet of Israel, if you could get to him, he would heal you. And so Naaman, this tremendous statement of faith by this young girl, and the scriptures say she was a young girl. And this is, I think, where I want to connect you in, youth, deliberately. Children, listen to this if you will. It does not take great maturity or status. You don't have to wait until you have money or power or position to make a difference in the kingdom of God. This girl captured by a foreign army and made to serve the captain of the army's wife as a slave who had no standing in that household, no belonging in that household, only the position of slave, only this position of working from, still spoke the truth of the Lord God. If you knew the prophet in Israel, if you could get to him, he's like none other, he would heal you. What a testimony. It's enough, and the disease is terrible enough and compelling enough, that Naaman decided to take a chance. So he went to the king of Aram and he said, hey, I hear there's somebody in Israel who can fix this. And the king said, well, why would I keep you from that? Go. Well, let me write you a letter. So he does. He writes a letter and he says, dear king of Israel, I'm sending you the captain of my guard, or the, my captain, so that, that you can heal him. The king of Israel got the letter and said, this is a trap. Set up. What is this guy doing? He expects me to fix this situation, he expects me to heal. And he tore his garments and he was sure there was going to be war and gloom and doom. And that's because... Well, the kings were so unfaithful, were they not? When we read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, these are not the tales of kings who stayed connected to the living God. These are not the stories of men who worshipped truly and faithfully. These are not the witness of men of integrity. The king had forgotten that there was a prophet in Israel. Somehow Elijah gets word that the king has torn his garments and sends word to the king and reminds him of the living God in Israel. Reminds the king of the living God in Israel. He says to him, why have you torn your garments? But send the man to me and we will see that there is a God in Israel. There is no equivocating. There's no uncertainty. There's no doubt. I admire that. That's pretty, pretty forward, isn't it? 
The king, of course, complies. He can't heal Naaman. And he sends Naaman and his entourage and all the gifts that they have brought to the prophet of Israel, who then promptly and rudely refuses to see him. Boy, I just don't know what it is, how to read this sometimes. Maybe uh, I need to lock the door on my office more often. I don't know, maybe, is that part of the power? I, I don't, anyway. What he does is he sends a servant out to Naaman and he says, uh, I tell you what, take your, uh, Naaman, you take yourself and your entourage, go down to the Jordan River and bathe seven times. And when you do, you'll be healed. Naaman is outraged. And why wouldn't he be? He has come to see the prophet. The prophet isn't seeing him. The servant is. He has brought all of these gifts. He's expecting this to be a spectacular foreign relations kind of coup. And nobody will have anything to do with it. He knows good and well that the waters of Damascus are as clean or better than the waters of the Jordan River. And he doesn't understand why he couldn't have just taken a bath in that and been cleaned. And he's really angry because he expected the prophet to come out and wave his hands over him or something. You know, he wanted to see a show. There needed to be some kind of trick involved here. He wanted the abracadabra. He wanted the, you know, be healed kind of thing. Be healed kind of thing, you know. He wanted a little fire. assemblies of God fire. He wanted Elijah to speak in tongues and go crazy a little bit. Do the dance, so to speak. Didn't happen. So he's muttering, he's complaining, he's going to go his own way, he's not going to do this, he's, he's going to go back. He's going home. This is, this is pointless. And he's got some pretty wise servants who just stop him and say, Really? We got to lose. We've traveled a long way. If this man had asked you to do something difficult or expensive, wouldn't you have done it? If he'd asked for 10,000 talents of gold, wouldn't you have given it? If he'd asked you to, you know, do a handstand and run the 100 yard dash on your hands, wouldn't you have done it? You would have done something impossible or difficult to be healed, but all he's saying is go take a bath in a muddy river. It's not a really pretty river, and at least today there's some pretty big fish in there too. So, anyway. Well, Naaman sees the logic. He calms down. He decides he hasn't got anything to lose, and you know the story. He dips once, comes up, nothing. Twice, nothing. Thrice, nothing. And on the seventh time, isn't it wonderful, that number of completion and perfection? On the seventh time, he comes up, and in a Shabbat of renewal and healing, he's clean. God has completed his work of restoration and recreation. And Naaman is overwhelmed. He goes back to the prophet. And this time the prophet will see him. He's clean. And as he sees the prophet, he says, I have gifts for you. And the prophet of God says, As the Lord liveth, I won't take a thing. And he says, Then let me leave these animals with you as an offering. You can take them and sacrifice them. I, but I want you to forgive me something. I never caught this before when I had read the story, but it really stuck out at me this time. When I go with my master, the king of Aram, on his arm, 
to bow before the gods of his people. And I'm going to find the text here for you. 18, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Wow. And you know what Elijah says? Elijah says, no, I can't do that. You cannot bow to any other God but the God of Israel. No, that's not what he says. What Elijah says to him is go in peace. Elisha, excuse me. I've been saying Elijah, haven't I? I'm famous for this juxtatwisting of characters. So, Elisha. All right. The heir of Elijah. Elisha says, go in peace. The Lord knows you. He's healed you. He understands your heart and your spirit. Do what you need to do. Serve your king. Go in peace. It's amazing scripture. Amazing moment of healing. We've had a number of things happen today, and among them there's been this baptism. And Majid and Betty, you've entered the waters. This isn't the Jordan, but it's a place of healing. It's a place of forgiveness. It's a place of renewal. It's a Shabbat. It's an experience of rebirth, skin of the Naaman made like a young man's again. And it's the grace of God to you. And young people, all of this story takes place with Elisha and his greedy servant who later comes and claims uh, the prize of Naaman and also obtains his leprosy. You have choices to make about freedom and integrity. And God's blessing in your life isn't about your circumstance, how much you have, what you're earning, or where your position is, whether you're even free or not. God's work depends on your willingness to know, your willingness to speak, your willingness to trust, and your faithfulness in those circumstances, whatever they may be. I guarantee you, when Naaman went back home, he did not see that little girl the same way. I guarantee it changed his life, and at least for a time, must have changed hers. We don't know. It's not recorded for us in Scripture. But I would hope that we would all pursue this integrity, whatever our circumstance, that we would seek to be free even if we're in a situation of, of servanthood, that we would live the integrity that we might want to live if we had more but really had nothing. And to know that in the house of God, we're not servants, we're sons and daughters and we have a place, and we've been made free, and that we're free in Christ, and that we're free indeed.